This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Monday morning and that means we turn our attention to the Manawatu Standard and what they've been reporting on in the last week. And uh, as usual, uh, although on the phone this time because we are still in alert level two, we have Jimmy Ellingham. Good morning, sir. Yeah, good morning, Fraser. Um, we were just having a little bit of a chat before we went on air there. A, a, a bit of a slow news week, um, particularly, I mean, the, the headlines dominated nationally by Auckland still being in level four. But uh, there are business as usual things going on, but no no scandals, no no big controversies. <laughs> it's slow, uh, slow in the sense of locally I think because once again all the uh, attention has been on Auckland up north there, there was a if you haven't got COVID to contend with there's a, there's a terror attack that uh, only a week ago was uh, dominating the headlines wasn't it uh, Fraser and I've read quite a few stories throughout the last uh, week about the return to level two and perhaps the impact on business you know the likes of Wellington because public servants are still working from home and business is reporting that the centre of Wellington is essentially a ghost town. We haven't quite found that here in Palmerston North, although potentially maybe some reporting this week could uh, see better trends in that direction. So we're not just talking about one or two bad days. But uh, no, you're quite right. Not a not a great deal of uh, scandal down these ways. So I'm sorry to disappoint you uh, <laughs> with what I've got to talk about. Today. I mean, uh, with regards to the pandemic, I mean, Ashley Bloomfield, I think doing a fairly good job of keeping people calm, even though the numbers t- tend to be bouncing up and down each day. You know, they were getting down into the, the teens for a while there, back into the 20s again. Um, but they seem to be maintaining this idea that this is all expected and it's all contained. That's got to mean good news I guess, for Auckland uh, later on today, but for the rest of the country tomorrow. He's kept a very calm pace, hasn't he, Ashley Bloomfield? But even I, I recall some of those times back in uh, 2020 when you know, cases were, you know, 80 new cases a day, that sort of thing, and he still, Dr. Bloomfield, still came out with a very calm uh, demeanour, which is, I suppose, what you want. It's why people have found him so reassuring and why, and why he's become almost a cult uh, figure. But you're quite right. Late last week, there was uh, 11 cases, for example, Friday and I think Thursday as well in Auckland, and 20 yesterday, 23 on Saturday, something like that. And even though it is yo-yoing around, it's still yo-yoing at fairly low levels, isn't it? We're not going from 20 to 70 or 10 to 50. Uh, It does seem as though it's under control. Uh, to an extent, and and we we have the I guess from a purely comms and PR point of view, you've only got to look at Australia and how many new cases coming up uh, day on day there. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty easy sell to say uh, there are twenty new cases, and we know where most of them yeah. have come from. Indeed, I recall reading a newspaper story over the weekend, and I can't remember which day it was talking about, but New South Wales, something like fifteen hundred new cases a day. So. I think that puts it in perspective a little bit uh, in New Zealand, uh, doesn't it? And we haven't seen any new cases outside of Auckland 
for a fair while. I think the Wellington subcluster, is that the right term for it, ended up being about 14, didn't it? And all all close contacts of those people who travelled from Auckland to Wellington, so that wasn't such a worry. Uh, but there are is it, there's sort of three or four uh, cases or strands of it in Auckland, isn't there, that they don't quite know. And I say they, I mean the, the health officials don't quite know uh, where they came from. And there were a couple of stories late last week where some experts were quoted as saying that could potentially keep Auckland in level four for a bit longer. Of course, no one's no one really knows. Well, we won't know until this afternoon, will we, about uh, about Auckland's future? No, it's it's gonna it's gonna be an, an interesting couple of announcements this week, and we will watch with interest. Um, but as you say, locally, not a great deal to focus on with the pandemic, which is good news. We should stress, uh, which gives us also a chance to look at some other things that the standard have been looking at. Uh, you wanted to have a look at the, the a couple of city council things, uh, some council staff vacancies. Yes, so there'll be no issue with uh, physical distancing at the uh, Palmerston North City Council building. Uh, we, we reported last week that the council is carrying 140 vacancies, uh, which uh, that was at the end of June. Fully staffed, apparently, the council, and I presume we're talking head office here, would be 670 people. So it's 140 short of that, uh, which seems uh, remarkable, doesn't it? And yeah. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I don't know if there's a wider point here, too, because I know at the Manawatu standard sometimes, depending on the type of uh, time of year, we, we can, it is a struggle to attract people to the regions, isn't it? Um, not just at the Manawatu standard, that's fairly widely reported. We spoke a few weeks ago, I think, didn't we, about Manawatu District Council losing planning staff mm. uh, to, to various other places. So it seems to be something that's across the board. Uh, the Chief Executive of the City Council, Heather Schotter, said that this dates back to the last financial year when the, we had that 1.9% rates rise, so some vacancies were not filled uh, at the time. It's also apparently been slightly inflated by the fact that there's been a few new positions created in the latest long-term plan that haven't yet been filled. Uh, we did ask what these positions were, but the council uh, communication staff said they were too busy with the COVID-19 response to tell us. So, uh, oh, is, well, <laughs> is that a convenient excuse or a legitimate one or both? Well, <laughs> who knows exactly? I, I am wondering exactly what was so pressing in Palmerston North last week. Um, <laughs> they couldn't tell us, but uh, I might leave that one up to listen so, to so, make me mind. So does, does, does this uh, level of, of vacancies, does that speak to the, I don't know, the organisational culture of the council, the desirability of the jobs, the pay structure? You know, Why are they going for, what, one-fifth of, of the workforce is being currently vacant? Mm, potentially all those things, doesn't it? I mean, we all know that at the moment, and this is also what council staff have, have told us, that we know that there's a shortage of, of you know, skilled workers across the board, uh, don't we? We've, we've heard about the contractor shortage in a, in a different industry. Um, but as I said, even in, in journalism, our, in broadcasting, our, our own industry, it, it is a struggle to attract people to the regions. Everyone wants to live in Auckland, Wellington, and to a lesser extent, Christchurch. And, but there's jobs going in Gisborne and Whanganui and places like that. So, I mean, I don't think Palmerston North City Council is alone here, but it perhaps might be alone and the extent of uh, the vacancies that it carries. Uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a very, very high number, isn't it? Mm. And last year, we, we, did, we did a story back in October. At that point, the council had 61 vacancies, and it was reporting at that stage that staff were struggling to respond to demand, which 
I mean, that's clear, isn't it, that they're carrying out many vacancies, particularly in planning and building services. So there's, you know, knock-on effects there too with delays uh, to, to, to other projects outside of the council. Uh, the council did actually, for the past financial year, um, partly because of this, declare a surplus of $4 million, uh, of which it's spent on paying down debt. And so part of that came about because of savings, perhaps unintentional, on salaries, but also without the staff, some projects couldn't go ahead, so more savings there. But they're not perhaps the sort of savings that we necessarily uh, want to see. No, not at all. And, and, and as you said, I mean, I've heard stories, particularly in the sort of the the computing IT uh, sphere, that particularly the border closures are having some real implications on on the ability to hire. So I, I'm, I'm gathering that some of these city council jobs will be specialised roles that require qualifications, and with the border closures as well as the, I guess, the limited movement at the moment and the uncertainty, it's just making it hard for people to make that that. Yeah, yeah, and just to get off uh, topic, or slightly off topic a little bit, um, I did a story a week or two ago about some Manawatu vets who are starting to offer online consultations, which is a new thing, really, in New Zealand uh, for New Zealand vets. But they, they were talking about, one of them who, who does this is a lecturer at the vet school out at Massey, and he was talking about the shortage, the real shortage we have of vets in New Zealand at the moment, because New Zealand relies so heavily on people coming here from overseas to practice as vets. But, of course, that tap's been turned off at the moment. There's only one vet school in the country, which is Massey, which can't you know, quite produce people as quickly as they're needed. And so, as we're seeing it in many uh, sectors uh, at the moment, aren't we? And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... Uh, doesn't seem like it's something that might change in a hurry. Um, also, just to get back to the City Council too, there's been apparently a few restructures uh, in that organisation too, which meant that some staff apparently, uh, according to what we reported, left because their roles had been changed and that sort of thing. So all these things seem to have hit at once to create that 140 vacancies that, as you say, are getting near to one-fifth of people. Indeed. Well, we hope that that uh, improves in due course. Uh, let's move on to, well, staying with the City Council, but you've got some information with regarding to some of the flats that they, they run. Yeah, and we talk about these quite often, don't we, particularly over the past uh, 18 months or so with the developments at Papioia Place. But it turns out uh, three out of four city council social houses, so that's 334 out of 430, don't meet the new healthy homes standards that the government introduced recently. So the council has until July 2024 to get them up to date. All of the new flats um, and social houses should be probably relieved to know all of the new ones at Papioia Place do uh, meet these targets, and that's to do with insulation, heating, ventilation, uh, but most of the old ones don't. Having said that, I'm not quite sure, I don't know if these places, are, they're not necessarily the sort of, uh, you know, mould-filled flats that we read about down in Wellington, for example, because uh, Ben Schmidt from the Manawatu Tenants Union said he wasn't aware of any complaints specifically to do with city council flats, but it is something that the city council uh, will need to fix, and apparently most of the problems are to do with heating and ventilation, which can be quite easily fixed. So over the next uh, few months, when people leave those flats, a lot of those problems will be able to be fixed before new tenants move in. Um, Otherwise, apparently they can be done quite unintrusively. There's a budget of about $1.3 million a year for the next two years to bring those uh, places up to standard, but it's um, it's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Maybe uh, 
a bit of a concern in a way that there's that many because you see that the problem is going to be remedied. I suppose it's not really a surprise because, I mean, that was half the reason that Papioya Place was redeveloped because the houses were deemed not fit for purpose anymore. I mean, there were accessibility reasons for it as well, but mm. generally the houses just, they, they were not upgradable, so it was easier just to bowl and start again. And with looking at things like Summer Hayes, uh, the, the bowling club at Summer Hayes and things and trying to find other areas to be developed, I wonder if the the uh, the plan was just to to build new and demolish the old as opposed to try and rectify. But if the clock's ticking, maybe they have to do it. Also, I mean, as you say, the the houses are not leaky or mouldy or damp. Are they so? Are they not compliant only by a little bit, as opposed to having you know no insulation whatsoever or no heating yeah, whatsoever? That, that appears to be the case, and we've seen that, haven't we? We've spoken about that before with tying all the housing New Zealand houses. Uh, around Palmerston North, the number, uh, even though they're building, Kaingawa has built a lot more uh, in the past few years since well, has built houses and none have been in the three decades before that. Uh, a lot of those houses were simply replacing ones that were torn down because they, they were falling below those standards. Uh, and perhaps, as you say, it's the, from the case of these city council flats. Because apart from Papioia Place, a lot of the other flats, I think, around the city, they're they date from the 60s and 70s, don't they? So even if they're in fairly good condition, the standards to which they were built would be very, very different from what we see now. Indeed, we are here with Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard on The Catch-Up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of The Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on accessmedia.nz, uh, Apple uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, Jimmy, uh, during this most recent lockdown, uh, people have been turning to a particular purchase. <laughs> I think this actually relates to the 2020 lockdown, which was a bit longer in a way, but the uh, City Council annual report on dogs is out, and it shows that we had a, a fairly large 3.6% increase in the number of dogs registered in Palmerston North uh, last year as opposed to the year before, in the last year as opposed to the year before. So we've now got more than 9,000 dogs in the city, which is quite a few, isn't it? That's uh, one in every ten or so people. So is that people uh, buying? Is that people uh, buying or adopting dogs, or is that people just going? Mm. Oh, I should probably register this thing now. Well, it could be both, isn't it? We don't actually know, but <laughs> anecdotally, we hear of uh, people people getting dogs, and I mean that's an increase of uh, four, you know, just over three hundred dogs, I think, which is, which is quite a few, isn't it, mm. uh, in, in the city? I mean, it's and, not, it's, it's uh, not a surprise, though, because um, the city no. council are, are, are trying to tout themselves as being a, a, a dog-friendly place. We've got Linklater Reserve. We have the mm. the trial. Is that still ongoing, the, uh, allowing dogs into the CBD? Uh, they're obviously wanting yeah, to be... It seems to be a permanent uh, trial, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. No, it seems it seems to be that they're going they're going in that direction and and encouraging people to register them. Obviously, is 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 part of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're quite right. For, for we know some of those dogs could have uh, previously been un, unregistered, but uh, yeah, the SPCA who we spoke to said that they've uh, heard plenty of stories about. Uh, for example, they they even spoke about their own some of their foster carers that they have for animals uh, ended up over lockdown last year, you know, developing a bond with these animals and keeping them. So it's something they've heard of. But uh, Paws Animal Shelter New Zealand had heard or uh, spoke a bit about the downside of perhaps some of the snap purchases that people made getting dogs 
perhaps on a whim. I mean, a lot of people who would have got long hand dogs, I'm sure it wasn't a whim for them. It would have been something they'd thought of for ages, and then all of a sudden you've actually got time to be home. But uh, for some people, perhaps that wasn't the case. And Paul's uh, animal shelter said that its shelters had had seen an increase in animals who were uh, locked down uh, dogs or or others that uh, didn't quite work out. And uh, the City Council, too, also reports a slight increase, 1.5% increase in complaints about dogs, which I suppose if you're going to have more dogs, I suppose it stands to reason that there will be uh, more complaints about them. Indeed. Um, let's have a look at, uh, obviously, the, the, the big development. Anyone who lives in Ashurst or that side of, of Palmerston North driving in in Napier Road will see the big development works that have been carrying on between Fokorongo and the and the city limits. Mind you, I suppose Fokorongo is within the city limits, isn't it? Regardless, um, big development <laughs> there as you come into town. Uh, the Bupa village is there, but is, it, is this development an extension of that or is it another one? Uh, this is, no, this is a new one. And the, the works haven't quite begun yet, but it's a big block of land uh, off Nature Road, sort of around the Stony Creek Road area, um, James Lyon, that, that sort of place. It's a 34 hectare block, which is pretty huge. And it's going to be a Somerset, it's been bought by Somerset uh, Retirement Villages, and that's going to build a 300 unit village, which is once again quite large, uh, on nine hectares of that land. So the remaining 25 hectares won't be initially developed. Uh, Somerset says it's not quite sure uh, what it's going to do with that yet. But the earthworks will start and it says uh, perhaps as soon as you know, 15 to 24 months, so within the next couple of years. Uh, also uh, an NPR exclusive phrase that the, the, the price I can reveal for that was $19 million is what Somerset paid for that uh, 19. block of land. 19? Just over 19. Wow, good lord. 1-9, yeah. yes. And its, uh, it's rateable value from 2018 was just $3 million. But uh, things have changed since then because the accessibility has improved with all those uh, James Lyon, Stony Creek Road, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so the $3 million is probably uh, well under what it uh, was potentially even worth then if those developments had been around then. Uh, also, half of it is zoned residential and about half uh, is zoned for rural. So if Somerset wants to develop on that whole block of land, it would have to, as Kiwi Rail is doing out to, out with its rail yards, it would have to uh, get some sort of consent uh, to uh, to do that, and there potentially would have to be hearings, people objected, and all that sort of thing. But that's, that's a big development uh, for the city, and Somerset expects that the population of over 75 will rise by 30% in Palmerston North by 2028. It already has a village uh, in, New, in uh, Palmerston North up at uh, Summer Hill, drive and it has 33 sites in New Zealand. Um, there's a lot of interest in the land though. I spoke to the property broker's agent who marketed it, Nick Clark, and he said he had something like 200 and something email inquiries about the land and in the end nine offers. So he did it as a tender uh, which he did because that allows government departments to, to bid to the land. Like uh-huh. the time order can't, can't do it at auction but it seems, I mean he didn't actually can't really, can he say, who was interested, but it seems that Kaying Order or those type of people may have been mm. interested, in, and you can see why. <laughs> if, you, if you need housing, it would be perfect for it. So is that, um, is that, tech, is that, in, that is within the city council boundaries, isn't it? Yes. Because, yes, yeah. I mean, that whole development, as you come in through Napier Road now, as soon as you hit Fokorongo, we're going to have the, 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 the big uh, Somerset village. And then I, I mm. obviously, in my introduction to this segment, was confused because I thought the development that's currently going on was this, but that's something else. Then you've got the Bupa village, and that's before you even get to the Welcome to Palmerston North sign. 
yeah, that sign might need to be moved back. I think that's, that's about 20 years old now, isn't it? Yes. Um, but there's, there's also that new development on, on council land um, down, down sort of James off James Line. So that, that's plenty of new, uh, of new housing out that way that we see. I mean, some of it, uh, just to put their uh, purchase prices perspective, they, made half, they declared a half yearly profit of $263.8 million a couple of weeks ago. It's a very lucrative industry, isn't it, the retirement villages? Well, I was going to say, their, their speculation around the growth in over 75s is hardly uh, newsworthy. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's a given <laughs> these days, isn't it? Yes, it's, 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 it's not some amazing you know, oracle-like uh, prediction. It, 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 it just makes business sense for them, doesn't it, to, uh, to develop uh, more. Yeah. Yes, it does. And, and um, I look forward to living in one one day and having someone look after me. Now, um, we spoke... You've got quite a few years to go, though, don't you, Fraser? <laughs> Sometimes it feels quicker than others. Um, let's have a look. We, we spoke about this rather interesting uh, issue that uh, Manawatu District Council had uh, with people declaring not quite squatters' rights, but some something out of the dark ages where, you know, Planting crops and, and placing a flag meant that you you owned the property or had a, a right to be in the property. Uh, this is at Mount Lee's Reserve. There have been developments. There, there, there have been. Uh, this is one of my uh, more interesting stories. I think we've done in the past few weeks. Uh, someone called Kerry Reddy and one other person claimed that they had some lawful status in occupying Mount Lee's Reserve, a twenty-nine and a half hectare reserve with a, a former bed and breakfast on it, which closed. In early 2020, it's been vacant since then, but it is public land too. There's walkways and parklands and that sort of thing there. That the claim that Kerry and uh, her offsider was relying on is one of a ludial claim, which pretty well means if you plant a flagpole and a crop on vacant land that it's yours. Uh, so they say legal experts doubted that, pointing out that uh, various laws and, and, and case law and whatnot has uh, superseded that in the past. Well, not only that, but they're they're claiming they're claiming the land is vacant. It's not. It's owned by the Manawatu District Council. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the house there is vacant, but since the bed or the, the homestead there is vacant since the bed and breakfast breakfast moved out. But it's public land, isn't it? It will be like. Uh, pitching up at the Esplanade and saying, well, this is vacant because no one lives here. Well, don't it's, give people uh, ideas, Jimmy. There are evidently some very encourageable people out there. Yes, indeed. But uh, to move that story along slightly, we spoke to the leaseholders for the for the bed and breakfast, uh, Graham and Jenny uh, Tiam, and they were they were they said they were sad to be ousted after eighteen years of running the bed and breakfast there. They also disputed the Manawatu District Council's claim that the venture wasn't profitable. They said they didn't make money out of it, and they also said that um, they were quite happy to spend some of their own money in developing the homestead a little bit more. So they, they were very disappointed be moved on from there. Uh, Monitor District Council Chief Executive Shane Harris sort of said something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, yeah, it wasn't losing money, but uh, we thought some other option could be the best outcome for the community. I, I don't quite know if that homestead lying empty with people making a lodial claim for the land is the best outcome for the community, but maybe he couldn't have foreseen that. It seems uh, to be a bit of a, a trend at the moment, doesn't it, for uh, for councils to turn around and go, no, no, we can do a better job of this. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we were talking Casey Birch and other and other uh, uh, other examples. Oh, yes. Um, something we will def- we'll definitely check on that. Uh, but apparently in uh, the six months that the district council 
advertised or some new tenure there had advertised on Facebook and trade me and had nothing uh, come of that. So it does sometimes seem, isn't it, that we see these changes that apparently are for the best outcomes for the community, but um, when they don't quite work out, it doesn't seem to be the best outcome uh, for the community. And I'm, I'm sort of understanding of the previous tenants in that uh, Mount Lee's property, Graham and Jenny Tien, saying that they can't really see why they were asked to be replaced by nothing. Mm. It does seem quite strange. The operational costs apparently for Mount Lee's Reserve are just over $27,000 a year for rubbish cleaning and the like, and that hasn't changed for, for quite some time. Uh, but we will, um, this week I think, we'll do a bit more reporting on this issue to see what the council's paid in legal costs out there and also have a look at some of the legal advice the council uh, has been given uh, about the issue because, of course, on the face of it, uh, these two people, they don't have um, uh, hope in hell, as the saying goes, if, if the issue were to go to court. But sometimes you have problems, don't you, in actually physically removing people from land and that sort of thing because police are reluctant to be involved often. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's going to be an, uh, yeah. It would be interesting to know how much the council have paid in legal advice for this, because the legal advice I would assume would have involved throwing your head back and laughing like a musketeer. Um, and that, you know, that will still come at a pretty penny, though. Um, so yes, I, well, I what, want to know what um, one thing we haven't reported on. This is perhaps a huge failure on our part, Fraser. Is what crop? <laughs> yes, uh, possibly one that involves police tractors and helicopters. Um, let's move <laughs> on to uh, from one from city council to district council, uh, sort of tying in a little bit with Horizons Regional Council. Uh, John O'Neiller um, was uh, responding to the transport uh, plan and sort of lamenting the uh, lack of funding going towards the Horafanua area. Yeah, yep. That's- so the transport plan, which comes uh, out every so often last year, uh, sorry, last week, came out saying what the priorities were for the next three years. Uh, there wasn't really a great deal of surprise in it locally. Things like the Manawatu Gorge replacement highway, I mean, that's already been built. And uh, the Manawatu area got about $1.3 million of spending out of 24.3. So, uh, I mean, we've reported on these for years. It's always a bit underwhelming in Manawatu because, of course, the big money is being spent in Auckland, Wellington. Um, or the, the unexpected stuff, perhaps. Uh, we do have big money spent on that new uh, the new highway. But, uh, yeah, John O'Neill is quite right, and we spoke to Sam Ferguson, the Horizon Forest Nua uh, Ward Councillor, about his frustration that uh, down there, walking and cycling appeared to uh, be overlooked. The Horizon Nua District Council apparently applied for about $3 million of funding for this, but its chief executive, David Clapperton, said they got nothing, uh, which is a bit of a surprise for me because Horizon Nua it's been identified as, as a, and is, a, a fast-growing area. And we've seen things like in the next 10 years or so, we're going to get that uh, north of Vortaki to Levin Highway. But we're not going to have, for now, any extra provision of you know walking and cycling. And I would have thought that we'd want that if, if it's such a high-growth area. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... I, mean, I, I remember back in the UK, my, my father lived in Folkestone, which was about 40 minutes an hour's drive from London. Uh, and his property mm. prices, his property price went through the roof when they became part of the commuter belt for London because there was a fast rail link and everything else, and the investment started going in there. You'd think that people would be identifying the Horofenua region as being part of the Wellington commuter belt, and and you know seeing some pr- particularly rapid population growth soon. Well, yeah, because it has been identified, really, hasn't it, within the uh, commuter belt, given the roading situation, plus. Uh, this plan, transport plan, does include some money to upgrade capital connection. And that's been 
something that's been spoken about for a while, hasn't it? Making those services even more regular uh, or, or upgrading the rolling stock and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and speaking of commuter uh, belts, or at least the outskirts of the city, included in that transport plan is something we reported on earlier this year, the, the plan to upgrade that Nature Road Roberts Line intersection, which will get traffic uh, lights, and that's part of this plan. And given what we said before about uh, rest homes and other developments out that way, uh, that intersection definitely needs some uh, some attention, you would think, and we'll get some in the next three years. But yeah, Horapanua uh, feeling a little missed, I think, and uh, perhaps quite rightly so. So, John O'Neill and Sam Ferguson, the councillors from Horizon, uh, quite right to identify that. Very good. Uh, we are pretty much out of time, Jimmy, but very quickly, you just wanted to talk about the decision, when we can expect a decision on Nature Calls, the City Council's wastewater plan. Yes, last Monday I said that it was going to be last week, and at that point when I spoke, that's what we thought. But probably about half an hour after I got off the Zoom call to you, Fraser, we got a, a release that you would have probably seen too from the council saying that decision has been delayed a week. So now it will be this week, this Wednesday, at a, and as they call it, an extraordinary meeting. And given the cost of that project, uh, was it $500 million or something like that, uh, somewhere around that uh, area, it uh, will be extraordinary where the council will decide on its preferred uh, option for the Nature Calls wastewater disposal system. At the moment, we're looking at most of it being in the river and some to land. And remember the, the massive amount of land that we need, which, of course, as we reported last week, is left farmers and uh, people down downstream uh, from farms to north a little bit missed about where this might go. Indeed. Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition with Sida. Make sure you join us then. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.